Thanks for joining us for another God-inspired message from C3 Church Monash. Connect with us online at c3monash.org.au and we hope you enjoy today's message. You can grab your seats. Thank you, worship team. Such a beautiful time. Good morning. Good to see you all. I can see you now. You are in the dark before. I couldn't see you. Wonderful. We were last week, Deb and I, we're at um, C3 Believe in Wollongong, and, uh, which has been going six months. Pastor Andrew and Janine, Andrew and Janine Kabbalah planted that church, and a few of our favourites from here are there. The Brazzles are going really, really well. Uh, Alessia Barilaro is over there, and, uh, but they're doing really, really well. It's interesting going into a church that is run by healing evangelists. <laughs> was, uh, so... Andrew gets up and slips straight into praying for people before we've done anything else in the service. And it's kind of like, well, that's probably not what I'm going to be doing here this, this week. But it was, they're doing so well. And uh, we sent your love and greetings to them. But the Brazzles are doing well. Lissy is doing well. Just thinking about um, uh, the Barilaros, we need to pray for John as he is uh, in campaign mode for the New South Wales state election. And it's good to be praying for our politicians as we were doing earlier, praying also for our Prime Minister, Scott Morrison, uh, a Pentecostal at the leading our country, a Pentecostal, the Deputy Premier of the state of New South Wales. We just need to cover and protect these guys in prayer and uh, believe that God is doing a great work. And uh, always, always, and obviously others as well. So uh, it's the first Sunday of autumn, as Deb mentioned. I love it. I love one of the things I love about Canberra, and there's a lot I love about Canberra, is the, uh, the seasons and the change, the challenge to change, and um, just being made aware all the time. And, uh, you know, I think that, that I think we need to respond to the challenge of change that God is always encouraging us into. And I think one of the key virtues that enables us to respond to the challenge of change is thankfulness. A thankful heart allows us to be open to what God wants to draw us into. But if we're cynical, if we're hard-hearted and resistant, then it makes it difficult to, to flow with the change that God wants to bring. Being a Christian means that we're going to be challenged to change. On Friday, Deb and I went for our customary walk around Lake Billy Griffin, the 5 or 6K, the bridge-to-bridge -bridge walk. And uh, Friday's our day off, and we often do that. And um, it's the Enlightened Festival, kind of really warm to that concept of the Enlightened Festival. And it's sort of uh, uh, very topical and very seasonal. But there's light shows, there's balloons. We've actually got tickets to go on a balloon ride sometime soon. I think you've got to get it pretty early for that, don't you? Is that how it works? Um, there's music, there's art, there's culture, there's creativity. Everything's going on in the city of Canberra. There's fireworks. It's a great event over an extended period of time. And uh, as we were walking around, I saw the tagline uh, of, of the event, of the Enlightened event this year is uh, Eat, See, Explore. And I thought, that's pretty cool. I really, I really like that. And it got me thinking, got me thinking about the Enlightenment. The Enlightenment was a period of time in history. Um, and it was an intellectual and philosophical movement that dominated the world of ideas in Europe during the 18th century. The idea of the Enlightenment undermined 
sorry, the ideas of the Enlightenment undermined the authority of the monarchy and the church and paved the way for the political revolutions of the 18th and 19th centuries. The Enlightenment included a range of ideas centered on reason as the primary source of authority and legitimacy and came to advance ideals like liberty, progress, tolerance, fraternity, constitutional government and the separation of church and, and state. In France, the central uh, doctrines of the Enlightenment philosophers were individual liberty and religious tolerance. It all sounds a bit familiar, doesn't it? When I was reading this. And in opposition to the absolute monarchy and the, uh, and the um, fixed dogmas of the Roman Catholic Church, there was a resistance and a pushback to those things. I think the... Uh, and not much has changed today. The Enlightenment was marked by an emphasis on the scientific method and reductionism, along with increased questioning of religious orthodoxy, an attitude captured by a phrase, dare to know. If you want a title of the message this morning, it's dare to know. Dare to know was the catch cry of the Enlightenment in the 18th and 19th century. I want to expand on that today. I want to attack a word on the end of that. Dare to know God. That is true enlightenment. And sometimes we rationalize and scientificize and do all that sort of stuff, making up words as we go along. But, you know, dare to know came out of the enlightenment. And I dare you today to know God in an enlightened way. Science played an important role in, in enlightenment discourse and thought. Many Enlightenment writers and thinkers had backgrounds in the sciences and associated scientific advancement with the overthrow of religion and traditional authority in favour of the development of free speech and thought. I'm not anti-science at all. I know there's many scientists here, so I'm not, that's not what we're, we're talking about here. But it's, it's like, how, how do we... What is the ultimate authority in your life and in my life? The Enlightenment has long been hailed as the foundation of modern Western political and intellectual culture. The Enlightenment brought political modernization to the West in terms of introducing democratic values and institutions and the creation of modern liberal dem democracies. Not much has changed between them then and now. Liberty, progress, tolerance, pushback of the church, all of these kind of dynamics are still happening today in so-called enlightened society. God is into enlightenment. Not necessarily intellectual, but he's not against it. Not necessarily philosophical, although it's good to think and think things through. Not necessarily against cultural enlightenment. But what he really is for is spiritual enlightenment, emotional enlightenment, so that you and I have the souls of our heart enlightened by God. That we're not driven and, and motivated by, by intellectualism and all of that sort of thing, but by what God is doing in our hearts and lives. Let's have a look at Ephesians 1, 17 to 19 this morning. I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation as you come to know him, so that the eyes of your heart enlightened, you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, 
What are the riches of his glorious inheritance among the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power for us who believe according to the working of his great power? With the eyes of your heart enlightened. So I was triggered in my thinking around enlightening the eyes of my heart as I walked around Lake Billy Griffin and thinking about the city in which we so gratefully live and what it means for our city to be enlightened. Does it mean light shows on buildings? Does it mean multicultural food? Or is it something far greater and deeper than that? Enlightenment is not an, int, uh, an external stimulation. It is an internal awakening. I just want to ask you the question, is there an internal awakening? Is there an enlightenment that needs to happen in your heart today? Not an intellectual stimulation. I'm not discounting that because at some point we have to think these things through. But there will always be something that rises above even the greatest of intellectual minds. We need an internal awakening. It is remarkable that in all the writings of Paul's prayers and the scripture that we looked at was Paul. It was in Ephesians chapter 1 and um, it's Paul's prayers for his friends. He's thanking God before the scripture that we read. He was thanking God for his friends and, and who they were. But in all the prayers that Paul prays, the, the, the apostle of the New Testament, written much of the New Testament, he doesn't pray for their circumstances or their situations. He doesn't pray for their pain or discomfort to be relieved. He prays time and again that they will know God and know him personally and know the power of his, his love at work in their lives. So there's no appeal from Paul. God, change their circumstance. Relieve their pain. Make it easy for them. He doesn't pray those prayers. He says in the midst of all they're going through, just like in the midst of all that I'm going through, he says, enlarge their heart, enlighten their heart. Show yourself to them afresh and anew. And I find that incredibly inspiring. One of the things I've come to realize is that with four kids, um, three in-law kids, seven grandkids, there are a lot of needs that are out there that could be prayed for just within my immediate family, let alone for Deb and myself. But less and less I find myself praying for the needs and the circumstances and more and more I find myself drawn to praying for the encounter of God, the enlightenment of the heart of my family and the friends and the loved ones and you as a church. You know what? I don't want to change your circumstances. It's not my place to do that. But what I do want to see is you engaging with God in the midst of your circumstances, as horrible as they are. As horrible as they are. And so I think when we, when we pray into circumstances and, and superficial stuff, we miss the point of the enlightenment of the heart. And so... It is certain that Paul's friends lived in the midst of many dangers and hardships. They faced persecution, death from disease, oppression by powerful forces, and separation from loved ones. Their existence was far less secure than ours is today. Yet in these prayers, you see not one petition for a better emperor, for protection from marauding armies, or even for bread for the next meal. Paul does not pray for the goods he would usually have near the top of our list's requests. He's praying for something far more than that. Does that mean it would be wrong to pray for these things? No, it doesn't. But they become an overflow of our prayer life. 
Paul, as Paul knew, Jesus himself invites us to ask for our daily bread that God would deliver us from evil. So we can pray that prayer. And we can pray the prayer, God, your will be done. Deb and I are looking for somewhere to move, move to. We've got to move out of our house. I don't know. We've looked at dozens and dozens. and We've kind of crisscrossed all over the south of Canberra, trying to find somewhere to, uh, suitable to live. And it's come down to the point where the prayer that I'm praying most of the time is, Lord, your will be done. Your will be done. You know, we could have a list of all sorts of requirements, but it's like, Lord, your will be done. Your will be done. Give us our daily bread. You know, if we're in this place of, of faith and surrender before God, it means that we're not circumstantially driven, but we're driven by what goes on in the, the depth of our heart. In 1 Timothy 2, Paul directs uh, readers to pray for peace, for good government and for the needs of the world. In, in his own prayers, Paul is not giving us a universal model for prayer the same way that Jesus did. He calls us to pray for those sorts of things, but Jesus' prayer was universal. Paul, in his prayers, reveals that he asked most frequently for his friends what he believed was the most important thing God could give them. And it's the same, Deb and I, as your pastors, we pray for the most important thing that God can give you, eyes to see, an enlightened heart, to perceive what God is doing in your life, despite the circumstances, in the midst of circumstances, because of the circumstances. The circumstances aren't the issue. Your heart response is the issue. Enlighten. Dare to know. Dare to know God. Dare to know what He's doing. Hearts enlightened. Incredible kind of concept. Biblically, the heart is the control center of the entire self. It is the repository of one's core commitments, deepest loves, and most foundational hopes that control our feeling, thinking, and behavior. It's deeper than the feeling, thinking, and behavior. It's the deep, deep center of our soul. To have the eyes of our hearts enlightened with a particular truth, means to have it penetrate and grip us so deeply that it changes the whole person. So we're not just talking about a festival of culture. We're talking about enlightened hearts, something deep and transformative in the very depth of our soul. In other words, we may know that God is holy, but when our heart's eyes are enlightened to that truth, then we not only understand it cognitively, but emotionally, we find God's holiness wondrous and beautiful. And by choice, we avoid attitudes and behaviors that would displease or dishonor Him. It affects the very choices that we make. So when we choose to be thankful, it opens our hearts up to change, as I, as I mentioned before. And I find that that is incredibly inspiring. But it comes in the deepness. It's not a cognitive thing. It's way beyond that. And so while the enlightenment of the 18th and 19th century was all about cognitive understanding and reasoning and all that kind of thing, there's always been a deeper enlightenment going on. We're still in an enlightenment to this day. In Ephesians 3.18, Paul says that he wants the Spirit to give power to grasp 
all the past, present and future benefits that, they, that we receive when we believed in Christ. Of course, all Christians know about these benefits in their minds. But the prayer is for something beyond that. It is to have a more vivid sense of the reality of God's presence and, to, and of shared life with Him. The reality of God's presence. An enlightened heart that sees and feels the way that God does. That sees what's happening in our world and is able to interpret it and say, Well, you know what, God? I don't really understand the dynamics of this, but in the midst of it, I know your character never changes. And that on the other side of this, you are good. You are good. Have you ever gone from knowing something intellectually to knowing it experientially? That's what we're talking about. Moving from intellectual to experiential. We need to experience God. Our worship team was leading us so beautifully this morning. And Anna was saying, I love the tangible presence of God. It's kind of like, you know, it's that sense. It's that feeling. It's that, that, it's that enlightenment moment when we come together and corporately worship. So I was thinking about the enlightenment event. And I thought today, let's join the enlightenment party. Let's eat. Let's see. Let's explore. Just as Enlightenment Canberra is encouraging us to do, let's you and I do that for a few moments this morning. Eat. Eat. Psalm 34 verse 8 says this. Open your mouth and taste. Open your eyes and see how good God is. Blessed are you who run to Him. We should be running to Him. We should be eating, tasting and seeing the good things of God. Are you spiritually hungry, longing for a spiritual nourishment? There's, we're not talking MKR here. We're not talking MasterChef. We're not talking any of these kind of things. But I reckon God is the ultimate foodie. He loves the banqueting table. He loves breaking bread with you and I. He takes every opportunity over a table, over a meal, for us to be able to experience Him, to taste and see, to open our eyes and know how good God is. The importance of meals in Jesus' ministry, both in large groups. He fed 5,000 people in one sitting, some dinner party, and the discipleship of His leaders occurred over the Last Supper. And you and I will all be celebrating at the banqueting feast and the marriage supper of the Lamb. You know, he nurtured deep connections over food. For you and I to taste and see how good God is, we actually understand that when Jesus broke bread, for instance, he served others. He exemplified gratitude and he exemplified how to pray to the Father. You know, I think when we taste and see how good God is, it overflows in our gratitude. It overflows in our service to others. And it all happens around the table. <clears throat> Even on the beach. He had a beach breakfast one time. How cool is that? Not only are we partakers of the trials of the Christian life, but we are sharers in his deliverance from the pain of them. And you and I, when we understand what the eyes of our heart are seeing and perceiving, I think that um, the invitation that we get to taste and see is an invitation to understand the blessings of God and how powerful and real they are and how it works with God. How 
when we taste and see that God actually does come through for us if we don't give up on Him, when we actually understand that He is for us and not against us, we taste and see. For you and I, let enlighten this month make a difference. Let us eat with a different sensitivity. And we're actually going to be refraining from eating over the next few days as we launch into um, just a three-day prayer fast at the beginning of autumn. I would encourage you, use this opportunity to sharpen, sharpen your perception, enlighten the eyes of your heart at this time. Knowledge comes, up to in, uh, comes to us in three main channels. It comes through argument addressed in reason. It comes through testimony addressed in faith. faith. And it comes through experiment, which appeals to the consciousness. Taste and see. Have an experiment with God's food. Have an experiment with what He has to put out there. You know, I, I, I love the fact that it's like, He, he even says... You know, just t- taste and see if this God thing actually works or not. You know, I love it. Like when he called the disciples, they hadn't got it figured out. He just said, come, follow me. And they, they followed him. A few, you know, it was 16 chapters later before he says, well, who do you think I am? And they go, well, God, you're Christ, the son of the living God. But the, the response was to follow The response was an experiment. The response was to taste and see. Can I encourage you to taste and see on your enlightenment journey today? Taste and see. The second thought then. Oh, hang on. Before I finish that one. None of us distrust the evidence of our own senses. It doesn't matter how bad something tastes to us. If somebody else tells you it tastes good, it doesn't matter. It still tastes bad. Dead Deb loves figs. I hate figs. I cannot be convinced that figs taste good. Even though she thinks they do, I don't. You know, our, our sensory overrides our experience in, in terms of, you know, defining. And so the thing about it, when we taste and sensorily experience God, we will see how good he is. Eat. See. I'm going to share one of my favorite scriptures with you. Ephesians 1.17, we read it earlier as part of a broader portion of Scripture. I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation as you come to know him. I can't tell you how, how often I have prayed, Lord, give me a spirit of wisdom and revelation. I, I don't know. I don't know what to do. I don't know what I see. It's like praying for a spirit of wisdom and revelation. It's kind of, for me, it's, it's a, just this, um, it's not a throwaway thing, but it's, it's a trust thing. It's like, God, you give me a spirit of wisdom and revelation, and I'll, I'll just respond to that. It becomes a faith thing. God, I need that spirit of wisdom and revelation. And it's, it's guided and empowered me for years and years and years. As I found myself um, enjoying more leadership responsibilities, like, God, give me wisdom and revelation in all of this because it's, it's, that's the thing that's going to keep me going. Wisdom seems to denote the general gift of spiritual illumination, revelation, capacity of it apprehending the revealed. Wisdom helps us understand the revelation. Wisdom helps us see and grasp the revelation. Helps us 
perceive the drift of what God is saying to us. This is what wisdom does. Wisdom helps make known to our hearts what it is in God's heart when it comes out of that place of revelation. So it may be a real revelation for us. Somebody else can have a revelation. And to us, when they communicate it, it's just information. But when our heart shifts in engagement and we move from just experience to, to a deeper encounter, it becomes so more powerful. You know, I, I, in the uh, Beatitudes, a famous um, Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says this, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. There's a heart connection to what we see. This year, enlighten. I want you to see God. I want your heart to be so touched by the power of God that you will see things completely differently. The purifying of the heart is the enlightening of the spiritual eye. Strange as it may seem, the true eye of the renewed person is seated rather in the heart than in the head. It's a heart thing. Holy affections enable us to see as far as possible to understand divine things. I pray that each one of us has our eyes of our heart enlightened, that we may know the spiritual things that God wants us to know. There is an awakening, an enlightenment that's happening. Purity of heart gives insight. Purity of heart rather than accuracy of thought. Purity of heart. It's not an intellectual engagement. It's a heart thing. It's the order of the kingdom. A spirit of wisdom is that in which we rightly estimate things. We see vain things as vain. We see pride for what it is. We see worthy things as worthy and all things according to their relative vanity or worth. As applies to God, it is the spirit in which we learn to appreciate his infinite worth. The spirit of wisdom. God, give us wisdom and revelation, I ask. It is also the spirit of revelation. It is the dawning of his beauty in our hearts. And the reception of much about God that could never have been found out by reason alone. The condition is having the eyes of our heart enlightened. There is a notable change from understanding to heart. It's not have the eyes of our mind enlightened. It's the eyes of our heart. It's the depth of who we are. See. What are you seeing? Are you seeing things God's way? Are you asking him for revelation and insight? Show me, God, what you're doing. And I don't understand the pain and the discomfort of this circumstance, God. The grief that's caught up in this circumstance. God, can you give me a spirit of wisdom and revelation to help me see and understand what it is that you are doing behind the scenes? See, eat, see, explore. Explore, discover, search, seek. What are you seeking? Are you seeking signs and wonders like the Pharisees who needed something spectacular to influence their heart? Are you motivated? Because for them, they were motivated by unbelief and skepticism and cynicism and religion and pride. You know, you and I are seeking signs and wonders and then we'll believe. 
Or are we seeking, are we seeking like Herod, a baby, seeking to control, exercise power and control over our situation and circumstances, motivated by fear and insecurity, intimidation? Or are you seeking the kingdom like Jesus asked to do? He said to us, seek first the kingdom. By motivated, motivated by wanting to access all that God has for us. There can be no higher motivation, I don't think, than to seek first the kingdom. And so if you and I are seeking first the kingdom, we'll be seeking a spirit of wisdom and revelation to understand how the kingdom works. To understand, God, what am I missing here? Why doesn't this make sense to me? Or are we seeking the lost? Like Jesus himself came to do. And I know this, that if you're here today and you're lost, Jesus is looking for you. Jesus is here to seek you. He's motivated by helping you find the reason, the purpose and destiny for life. So what are, what are you seeking? Eat, see, explore. I think, I think these things, they might be a tagline for an event in Canberra. But I think if you and I can use them to inspire us to go deeper in a place with God, to actually dare to know, I dare you to know God. I dare you to taste and see how good he is. I dare you to eat, see and explore the things of God today. I want you to stand. I want you to close your physical eyes and open your spiritual eyes. Open the eyes of your heart. I want you to come to a place before God right here, right now, where you're allowing the eyes of your heart to be enlightened. Allow God to cause a change to work in your heart and life. His goodness, His grace, His mercy, His forgiveness, His perception, His favor, His insight, His value, His wisdom, His revelation for you. Allow Him to enlighten you this morning. We're going we're to worship with a song today. And I want you, I don't want you to sing until you're singing it from a place of your heart. I want I want you to allow God to enlighten the eyes of your heart this morning. Right now, I ask that you would enlighten the eyes of our hearts. Lord, that we would see you like never before and perceive you in ways that we have not done before. God, collectively, we ask for your forgiveness. We ask where our hearts have been hard and resistant to you. We ask for your forgiveness where we've shut you out and not given you permission to, to minister into the depth of who we are. But Lord, right now in this place, for those of us who need to follow you, God, Lord, we respond to that call to follow you. For those of us who need a spirit of, a spirit of wisdom and revelation, pour it out on us today, I ask God. For those of us in this place today who need to see you like we've never seen you before, God, to feel you like we've never felt you before, God, do that, we ask, in Jesus' mighty name. For those of us, Father, that have intellectualized every experience with you, God, I ask, God, 
you would minister the experience of what it is to have our hearts enlightened by a touch from you. I thank you, God. I thank you, God, that we would leave this place changed. Changed forever. Changed deeply. And I pray, Lord, that we would eat and see and discover what it is and explore what it is to walk with you in ways that we have never done before. Thanks for listening to today's message. If you have any prayer needs, email prayer at c3monash.org.au or connect with us online.